Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Persistence of Vision podcast. Inspiring conversations here and in other dimensions. Awesome. I'm Lance Fever Myers. I'm LB Dio, and we are your hosts on this adventure through conversation. We are welcoming you, and we are doing so in the spirit of Bonhamie. I love it. Please go to our website. It is pov-publishing.com. There you can read comics, poetry, essays by world-class uh, artists and writers. You can also see the links to all our pa- uh, past podcasts and links to go to amazon.com, where you can buy my book, Why So Much, by Lance Myers. You can also buy LB's book, The Goddamn Fool. Yes! You'd be a goddamn fool to miss it. What do we have today? Well, we have Beth Burns, the noted director of the theater, czar of the hidden room. Welcome, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for coming. I love conversation. Yeah, conversation's good, right? It's being sitting around doing nothing. (laughs) Lance hates it, but that's sort of he's the representative of those who hate it. (laughs) That's right. I'm the counterpoint. Yeah, you got to have both both the comedy and the drama mask, don't you? That's right. Or else you don't have theater. That's right. And, And without theater, what would we have? Uh, a more boring life. TV, yeah. <laughs> oh, TV and movies. No, that's theater too. That is oh, different. Right. different points. All Come theater. on, it's LB. All theater. Come on, LB. Okay. Well, you know that we always discuss a book or something like a book, and this is no exception. We're going to be talking about Arden of Faversham. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Arden of Faversham, would you please? I would love to tell you about Arden of Faversham. Arden of Faversham first published in 1592, uh, published anonymously. But that's not unusual for early modern plays. Um, it uh, is suspected to be at least in part the work of Shakespeare. That claim was first made in the 1700s. Uh, purely on the play's merit, just because it's really good and it's really funny, and also because there's certain through lines in it that sound like Shakespeare. We know that Shakespeare in this particular period, it would have been about 26, uh, was uh, an apprentice playwright. Um, he was you know, currently an actor living in London and had started doing punch-ups, basically, for other playwrights, um, collaborating. Again, um, you know, fun fact, the word playwright comes from, as in rot, W-R-O-U-G-H-T. Right. Um, and so this is when a lot of different theater makers coming together, putting their hands on a play. Hey, you know, LB, you take act one, I'll take act two, Lance, you take act three, and we'll see what happens. And sometimes also why plays of the period can be a bit disjointed, because sometimes one hand just really didn't know what the other hand was was crafting. It can also be really exciting. Um, <clears throat> so we think that uh, a young Shakespeare probably had a hand in Arden of Faversham, it's real funny, uh, and it's based, oh, and it's also really interesting because it's the very first um, example we have of a true crime domestic tragedy. Um, so uh, it is based on the true crime happened in the 1550s, the murder of uh, Master Arden by his wife and her lover who had decided to, you know, make him away. Uh, and this is a crime that gripped London. Everybody was fascinated by it um, because it was just so botched and such a poorly pulled off crime and everybody loves a dumb criminal. <laughs> yes, the Darwin Awards. Of, of <laughs> that's the, right. Of the 16th century. The, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Now, what do, you, do you agree that this was likely Shakespeare? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really do. I agree probably more than most people. I mean, I think I've got a really good leg to stand on because sort of cheating uh, stylometric tests have proved me right. Um, the You know, there's computer programs that, you know, every writer has a, a footprint. And, uh, you know, nobody's trying to imitate 
young Shakespeare in, <laughs> in 1592, right? But it's got, his, it's got his fingerprints all over it. So stylometric tests agree that uh, young Shakespeare had a hand in it. And also it just, you know, you can just tell, A, I've never seen another early modern playwright with this particular sense of humor, which is something that stylometrics can't test for, but I can. And then secondly, um, he's got through lines, motifs, and specific word usage that show up in Arden of Faversham that will continue to show up, especially in his early works, Midsummer, Shrew, uh, Richard II, and Henry VI. Uh, almost verbatim, there's uh, my favorite monologue in it, my golden time is when I had no gold. Mm. Though, yet then I wanted, uh, though then I wanted, yet I slept secure. I mean, come on, that's Beautiful. Shakespeare. <laughs> Yeah, Nobody yeah. writes like that. And, and it's the same themes that he had a lot of the time. You know, if only I was still a shepherd, you know, why, why am I rich now? Because now I'm in danger all the time. Right. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's back up a little bit. You said, um, so first of its kind or sort of a, a first uh, big representative of what this domestic tragedy, mm-hmm. um, as compared to what? As in contrast to what before that we had, Tragedies that were, uh, was Aristotle said, he argued that the tragedies should be uh, involving great minds and souls, right? Uh, because then we'd care more. That's but right. uh, why the shift? <clears throat> well, it's a great question. Why the shift? I mean, it could be a, um, something that was shifting in politics in the time. Why, why are we more, less interested in kings and queens and you know, noble people, people of a noble household? And all of a sudden, we're really just looking at some regular Joes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, th- that, the, that the bumbling folk are bumbling throughout. It's just a real personal look at everyday, at a murder in everyday England. It's fascinating. And yeah, before then, we'd rather hear about kings and queens. I don't know why, but I can tell you that it did start a small trend uh, that we have at least four plays that happened successively that just simply weren't as effective or good, probably because we didn't have Shakespeare on them. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, it's a great question. I've never considered why. Well, I think, so, okay, so just to back up a little bit again, um, this is Arden of Faversham. It's it's a, a play that was published um, what, 1592, right, mm-hmm. okay, and it's about uh, a domestic tragedy that's yep. based on, on truth, it's based on a real thing that happened, probably True what, crime. like uh, 50, 50 50s, yeah, so that's the other thing, so far back, I mean, already 30, you know, 35 years later, people still talking about this one crime, yeah. enough to make a play about it, yeah, and to joke about it, and to joke to about treat it, it as funny, I mean, not that it's funny, but it, it does remind me that, you know, that O.J. Simpson's case comes to mind, that people still want to talk about mm. about that. You know, it both horrified and and interested people. Yeah, yeah. And people joke about it all the time. And people joke about terrible things that happen all the time. That's right. And especially <clears throat> when there's been a little time passed. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you still hear, uh, you know... I'm, I'm going to go Bronco. I mean, that still it will show up in, in rap music, you know, <laughs> yeah, and you know yeah. exactly what people are talking right. about. Right, yeah. No, well, I think it's, I love to look at, at, at these shifts, and I was a total, uh, you know, coming clean here, I didn't know about this play until, we, de- until we decided to, to speak to you about it. So in looking into it, um, I was first, uh, you know, exposed to this idea that this was, one of you know uh, the earliest versions of a domestic tragedy, mm-hmm. and it did make me sort of dive a little deeper into what I think um, 
I think what we can see here is, uh, like, okay, so for example, my favorite quote by this art historian, John Ruskin, I've probably said this at least in one other podcast, maybe many, but uh, that the story of man can be told in three books, uh, his deeds, his words, and his art. And of the three, the only one you can trust is art, which oh, is I great, right? That. Yeah. So uh, I think it's interesting to look at the art and see that this was one of the first of the domestic tragedies. And you can see that it's happening at a time where like the Renaissance, the age of humanism, the Reformation, all these big re revolutions in thought and, and politics that is shifting the global culture from that of like establishment oriented to that of individual oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Am I just spouting bullshit here? Is this like, no, do you no, think this not is at like, all. No, I'm with this you. may be sort of yeah, near, like the rise of the of, of trade and, and the tradesmen as opposed to the feudal times. So we see the a greater attention paid to non-noble people at this time. Mm. Oh, know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And I'll go one further, and this is something I hadn't really connected before, but you'll also notice in this period a, um, a, f a focus on the hand in art, ah. the human hand, and how we've, we've gone from the human hand almost being um, uh, not neglected. Let me... Let me go back. That individuality and the intricacies of the of the ability of the individual begin to be celebrated, as opposed to almost being you know the less important because before you're worried about God and what God wants and what God's interested in, and the human is sort of you know um, <clears throat> sullied and yes. too low to even be considered. And then all of a sudden, a shift to um, this focus in art of these long fingers. The fingers start to get elongated, and uh, and the and the interest in the um, in the celebrate, oh, you know, oh, of what a piece of work is a man, right? You know, um, that, that's a very interesting connection that I hadn't considered before. Yeah, well, well do done. Do you think that's because of the, the emergence of a humanistic tradition, or is it because hands are so darn hard to draw? <laughs> you know, why, why, why choose one? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why not both? <laughs> so you have a particular interest in this play, not just because you love it, mm -hmm. but you're putting on a production of it. Oh, I am putting on a production of it, and who knew it was as funny as it is? Yeah, I love it. Um, at the Hidden Room right now, we are playing Arden of Faversham. We just opened, as of, as of the making of this podcast, we just opened yesterday, and we run through weekends until March 1st. We've got some special Valentine's Day things. That's Aww. fun, right? Um, Wonderful. Love and murder, and um, yeah, I'm I'm having such a great time with it. You know, one of the another call to why it might be Shakespeare is the play features two bumbling uh, assassins, yeah. cutters, uh, two rougher ruffians were never seen in the in the coast of Kent, um, and these guys are named Black Will and Shakebag. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. definitely evocative. It's evocative and uh, and Shakebag if Shakebag was actually Shakespeare's nickname by, you know, a, oh. a joshing nickname that uh, that his friends called him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's, <laughs> it's funny, right? Um, <clears throat> so those guys are really uh, they're keeping us all in stitches played by Judd Ferris and Jason Newman. Funny, Some of the funny. funniest performances That's I've ever great. seen in my life. And uh, a, a source of pride, literally the stupidest fight we have ever choreographed <laughs> uh, happens between those two gentlemen when they got mad at each other. Just a, a real brother fight of, uh, of uh, morons. It's delightful. I can't can, we, can we go 
tell them a little more about The Hidden Room? Oh, sure. Uh, Hidden Room, fan founded 10 years ago. Um, I had just moved to Austin, and I was looking for a new theatrical home. I, uh, when I was in Los Angeles before, I was at the Groundlings Theater, which is a big comedy oh, yeah. theater. Yeah, I taught there and performed there for about 10 years. And then I came to Austin and was looking for something that I wanted to do and the thing that I felt like was missing in general and all not just in Austin but in the states was scholar based theater uh, where I worked closely with scholars to um, recreate old playing practices or to um, look at you know rarely done shows and really you know not just sort of throw it up against the wall and see what sticks but to really try and go um, and do productions in a way that was um, scholarship supported mm -hmm. and so um, started doing that playing around with playing practices um, and since then my, my first production out was uh, Taming of the Shrew uh, with an all-male cast because that's how it was initially intended oh, right. yeah. and I think that's a play that really gets a bad rap and I thought oh well you know if you do it the way Shakespeare intended with an all you know with a male Kate what does that look like um, and continued to do that kind of work and then um, did some Shakespeare variants there's some really interesting Shakespeare adjacent plays like Dripperstrafter Brudemort, the puppet Hamlet that was found in a monastery in the uh, in the 1600s or the 1700s, a German probably funny puppet Hamlet. Um, there's uh, the history of King Lear, uh, written by Nahum Tate in the late 1600s. He found you know the the theaters had reopened and they were looking for good theater to do, um, and uh, Nahum Tate was like, oh, that Shakespeare guy's pretty good. Let's see what he's got oh, it's not a bad play. I can just fix it and make it a little better. Right. Um, and so it's a happy ending Lear, which is good for me. I don't, I don't ever want to see the sad Lear again, right? Why would I? I've well, the polarized King Lear was also happy, wasn't it? With Cordelia Survives. That's right. Yes, yes. I still haven't seen that one. Um, oh, wait, oh, wait. We're, sorry, wait. Yes, it's the same thing. I understand what you're talking about now. Yeah, that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Cordelia survives and uh, has a, a love affair with uh, with Edmund, and, or is it Edgar? I always get those two brothers yeah, confused. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's delightful. I'm still back there with Puppet Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Tell me about that. Puppet Hamlet is. I love this. They found in a monastery in Germany a uh, a short German Hamlet. And uh, when you would show it to different people, the scholars were scratching their heads. They had no idea where it had come from, who did it, nobody knew. Um, and, uh, and people just thought, oh, it's just really terrible. It's a terrible play. Uh, my friend <laughs> Tiffany Stern, who... Wait, a, a puppet Hamlet is a terrible play? Well, the thing is, they, did, they didn't know it was puppets. They couldn't oh, tell. Oh, they hadn't figured that out They didn't yet. know. Uh, my friend Tiffany Stern, who at the time was um, over at Oxford and now is uh, at Shakespeare Institute, she's a brilliant scholar, had looked at it and, uh, and showed it around to some different people. If you showed it to puppeteers... Puppeteers always said, oh, that's a puppet show. Like, no <laughs> doubt, it was a puppet show. From a Hamlet hitting uh, Ophelia with a stick all the well, time? Kind of, yeah, I mean, it had historical puppet through lines. You know, Ophelia is sort of love mad and going after people. There's a clown named Phantasmo in it. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there are certain things that appear to make it seem slapstick. Uh, I think one great clue is, um, at one point it says, the, the ghost opens and closes his jaws. You know, that's such a specific thing to say, right? Um, and uh, which means it probably called for one specialty puppet that could open and close its jaws yeah. as opposed to the others. It probably would have been Sicilian rod marionettes. So we worked with Tiff um, to see what this might look like if it was a, a puppet show. I, I had seen her give this talk at a scholar conference where I literally just go to go find 
interesting things that we might do next and to forge relationships with scholars that I like. Tiff Stern had been a hero. And so um, I saw her give this piece and I went up to her afterwards rather boldly and just said, hey, like, can I, you want to, you want somebody to work with you on this and be a lab for you? Oh, mm -hmm. sure. You know, so we embarked on a two year um, exploration of the play, trying to figure out what kind of puppets could it have been. If this was, if this was a puppet show, would it work? Right. And uh, as it turns out, it works very, very well. It's a terrible script for humans, but it's a fantastic script for puppets. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what we do. We act as a laboratory to, to test out scholar theories. And her theory is that Der Bestrafte Brudemord, this mystery German Hamlet, was a puppet show. Gosh darn it, I think she was right. So we toured it all around. Yeah, we took it to the Globe and all sorts of good places. So the Hidden Room is a laboratory slash theater mm -hmm. testing theories about plays that are hundreds of years old. Yeah, yeah, and also testing theories about actor practices. Um, for example, um, gesture work, which is why I think a lot about hands. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how, uh, you know, different actor technique, building characters. What, if you could have make a time machine, I mean, that's what I say, we make time machines, right? Mm -hmm. If you could make a time machine and go back and see some theater, because I agree with you, I think that, that the way we understand our theater tells us a lot about who we are, who we were, who we will be. And that we're kind of never really alone, right? You know, that the problems we have now are shared problems and, and the way that we develop and grow and can continue to grow is by examination and um, evolution of our art forms. So that's why I do it. Yes, I love it, it's great. And how did you get into this? Mm -hmm, how, did you, right. how did you first get into the whole scholarship aspect of theater? Mm -hmm. Well, I stole it, didn't I? I stole it from the, from uh, watching the the Globe Theater's work on original practices, which I thought was the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, I saw their Twelfth Night uh, when Rylance did it when it first came through Los Angeles, um, and thought, oh, that's the time machine I've always wanted. Because when I was a little girl, I used to, you know, you'd think about where you'd go if you had a time machine, and I always thought I'd like to go back and see one of Shakespeare's plays on stage. This is what I wanted. Yeah. And, um, and so I felt like that was the closest I'd ever come to it. And it was the most um, complete experience I'd ever seen of a Shakespeare play, just because it, and he was my, fav my favorite playwright. But I just thought, oh, if you don't fight the script, if you go with it, you know, what other things can you learn? And what playing practices, much like when you go into your, your mom's closet or your grandma's closet, what clothes, what styles have we thrown away that are actually really worth saving? Mm. And, um, and I felt like there were all these playing practices that we had dismissed out of, out of fashion that really could be quite useful. And gesture acting is one of those things. If you think about it, if you're gonna make fun of theater, <laughs> what is the first thing you're gonna do? You're gonna put the back of your hand up on your forehead and you're gonna tip your head back, mm, right? This is how people me. make fun of theater, right? Um, well, this is theatrical gesture and it's got a long, rich history. And it was very important um, to theater going all the way back to the very origins of it. And it's also important in just general, you know, rhetorical uh, speeches, whatever it is we're gonna be, mm -hmm. however we're gonna express ourselves. And so I started looking at, well, why are we so dismissive of it? Why do we make fun of it? If we did it for so long, maybe it was good. And so I actually went back and started studying with scholars to try and see what theatrical gesture would have looked like and it would have changed throughout the years. And so we took on plays like, um, 
Well, first of all, I had my puppets do it in Destructor Brutamord. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we tried it in the history of King Lear to see what restoration gesture might have looked, la uh, looked like using paintings and engravings and um, uh, actors talking about how they used to craft characters. Uh, we tried it out in, uh, in John Wilkes Booth's uh, version of Richard III that we recreated, mm -hmm. what it would have looked like in the, uh, in the 1850s and 60s. And as it turns out, uh, people really like it. And it's, uh, it's actually not, it shouldn't be dismissed. It's an extra tool. And what's the most irritate, irritating thing about theater to me, modern theater? It's when people stand up real straight and they have their hands just down by their sides. Like mm -hmm. they're, because, oh, we'll just let the words do it. Well, why? You know, we could also go build something later on and um, we could try and just, you know, just use our feet. But we have <laughs> our hands available to us, so yeah. why would we not use right. that extra? You know, we could talk it through all day. Yeah. But that's really not going to get, you know, that's not going to get our, the, that box put together. Right. That's so interesting to me. I, I teach uh, animation classes at UT. Um, and so I'm, I, there is a whole section on uh, acting for animation. And a lot of times I'm preaching, like, like in animation, you have the extra added um, challenge of trying to get a, you know, an, what are essentially lines that you're drawing to look like something that's actually acting and doing the thing that, that I mean, it's a storytelling medium. So, you know, it's, it's quite a challenge to get the story from these drawings to look like it's acting in a certain way and then overcome all the things that an actor has to do, right? Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm, that's that, right. That tried and true, I guess, mm -hmm. over the ages for people years to express uh, sorrow or anger or elation, right? That's exactly right. You're exactly right. Uh, in the early modern period, a man uh, named John Bulwer, who was also a doctor, uh, did two different um, sets of plates on gesture. He did one that was specifically meant to help uh, people who had issues with hearing communicate very early right. BSL, basically. Um, and then he did another set for, um, for actors and for um, you know people who were just dealing with speeches. Um, and each plate is a codified gesture. You know, if I put one, you know, my, my pinky out and my forefinger out and then I curl them, you know, this is, you know, or I put my fists together. It's a minor, which is, you know, a threatening gesture. And it goes through each gesture um, what what each specific thing means. And most of them we still use in our, our daily life. You know, um, some are unusual. Uh, my favorite is, you know, the difference between if I put, so I have one finger, my index finger up in the air, and you guys can tell I'm, I'm about to say something if I, if I do it just right. You know, you know mm -hmm. oh, she, she's got an idea and she's about to speak. She's got the floor, she's got a finger up. If I take that finger and I just curl it down, that means I'm irritated with you. Oh, interesting. <laughs> wow, okay. Interesting. So it goes from one very common gesture to one you know, gesture that's pretty much gone. But you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, um, snapping. I mean, it, it's pretty, um, it's both common in usage and it's also, I think in a, a lot of ways, at least in, uh, in this part of the world, uh, instinctive. Mm. There's a TV show, HBO's Rome, which has a, uh, a public tribune who gets up and makes announcements 
sort of acts like the newscaster throughout the show. And he will always do these stylized gestures. And he does them in a, almost a bored way. Like he's, he's been doing this his whole life. <laughs> and he's just like, okay, now I have to point my fingers out straight ahead because I'm announcing this type of thing. And now I'm going to lower my hand, you know, outstretched palm down toward the ground. You know, it's, but it's like fascinating to watch. Oh, that's it, interesting. It's this wonderful theatrical aspect. I, my favorite compliment we ever got from any show after we tried Lear, and we didn't know if people were going to love it or hate it, and even Tiffany, who worked with us, on Tiffany Stern, who worked with us on that, said well, that she was afraid people would just laugh, that it would be ridiculous. My favorite compliment that we got uh, over and over again was, this is really clarifying. We really understand. You know, at first it was a bit jarring because you're not used to seeing it. But... Um, but we understand better based on those gestures. It just boosts meaning. And then somebody else said, I felt like you made, a a, like I had my own personal little music box and everybody was just dancing just for me. Oh, how marvelous. I thought it was the sweetest thing to say. Well, I wonder if it's um, sort of an analog to like, uh, like post-capital. <laughs> like, right, If yes. there's sort of like a, uh, I mean, because Shakespeare is sometimes sort of difficult to, it's very flowery language. Sometimes difficult to, to wade through um, and, and get the, the full meaning um, it can it, unless you've really studied and really read through, right? So yeah. do you think that, no, you disagree? <laughs> no, I just, well, I, I only lightly disagree. I think that that is certainly true in part, but I think for the most part, the real reason why a lot of people don't, don't catch Shakespeare is because people aren't giving it to you properly. Mm. Uh, that's my, mm. my vote. I, I, my favorite compliment, and we get it on the regs, is oh, you modernized this. And the answer is always, I promise you, no, we wow, didn't. Okay. Um, we just know what we're doing. We right. just gave it to you properly. Oh, that's great. So, Well, it's interesting. We, we often hear about people who say that they don't understand Shakespeare or so we're in foreign language or they people mistakenly refer to it as Middle English sometimes right. or Old English. Yeah, it's not. Um, but I remember reading or being taught in high school how they would give it to you full speed uh, in the old days in the, at the Globe Theater. Yep. And uh, and you would have uneducated people, illiterate people, in the, just going crazy, having the time of their lives, not not missing anything. And, and that's really the way it was written and intended to be performed, right? The, that's right. Not as, a, not, as a, not as something that was good for you or something that you had to train for or study for or to prepare for, but just something to go and enjoy and, and, and love. And that's right. And sometimes when you do hit flowery language, it's character choice meant by a character who is doing that on purpose, right. who's trying to be poetic. And it's often used actually for, for comedy. Uh, here's a great example. Um, Twelfth Night, one of my favorite plays. If you, if you don't do it right, there's a speech from Antonio. Uh, this is the air that is the golden sun. This pearl she gave me, I do feel it and see it. And though tis wonder that enwraps me thus, yet tis not madness. Where's Antonio then? If you do it like you, you would think, this is the air, that is the golden sun, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean anything. But if you know that what he's saying is, I can't tell. I'm in such, uh, this crazy lady has just given me this pearl. She's the most beautiful one I've ever seen in my life. She's given this thing to me and I am completely bewildered and I'm knocking on tables to see if this is still the table in front mm. of me. And that is still that. And you do it with the proper inflection. I'm not the greatest actor in the world, but it sounds like this. This is the air. That is the golden sun. This pearl she gave me, I do feel it and see it. And though tis wonder that enwraps me thus, yet tis not madness. Where's Antonio then? 
Mm. Mm. Wonderful. And then you get it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. there's nothing flowery about that. There's, that's not fancy. He's just saying, somebody pinch me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And that goes on and on. Um, uh, um, Orsino's big, if music be the food of love, play on. That sounds real fancy and beautiful. That's not what he's saying. Give me excess of it that, um, you know, surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. He's saying, I don't want to be in love anymore. Somebody, if music is the food of love and it's going to make me, give me so much that I'm, that I'm going to throw up and die. <laughs> That's what that is, right? So it's just a simple understanding from the actor. What am I saying? What's really happening? And then you put the little pauses in where they belong, and that's why it was written in verse, in just the right chunks that people are able to accept it and understand it. Just like you and me, we take natural breaths, right? Have you? How exhausting it is. God, I hope it's not happening now, but how exhausting it <laughs> is when somebody goes on and on and on, and they're talking forever, and they never <laughs> stop, and they're blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You need to take those breaths, and Shakespeare, with that bump, 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 breath, bump, 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 breath. It's just enough that your brain goes, check, check, mm -hmm. check, mm. check. Um, and you need that. And so when people go, nah, I don't really pay attention to the verse. I don't really need it. I'm kind of a, kind of a modern actor. Mm. <laughs> Not really. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired because nobody's going to understand you. That's my, that's my take on it. Wonderful. Well, you had some other things to plug. We, we ha obviously, people need to come out and see Arden of Fabisham. Oh, I hope so. Yes. It's such a delightful play, and it makes me laugh so hard. How it, long is it running? Uh, we end March 1st. It's a relatively short play for an early modern play. It clocks in right at two hours, mm -hmm. and that's including intermission. And, um, and it's... Uh, <laughs> Like, talk about a modern thing to say. There's literally, after a fight, somebody literally says, uh, but he begun. <laughs> and the other guy says, and I'll see, I'll finish. I mean, <laughs> how modern is that? He started it, and I'll finish it too. Cry many Christmas. I love it. Um, so uh, that runs uh, this month, and I'm just in love with this play. And then, um, and then after that, uh, we're doing a collaboration at the Ransom Center, working on the creative process of Tennessee Williams. Uh, a brilliant scholar, uh, Dr. Eric Caleri, has put together a presentation of the creative process that Williams went through in building the Glass Menagerie. So it went through a lot of different incarnations be mm -hmm. before it was the Glass Menagerie. Um, it was the Gentleman Caller. I think it was like a Christmas candle or so. I don't remember, but it's been a thousand different plays. Um, and so we'll be, uh, Hidden Rooms coming in to read some excerpts of different um, different portions of that play while Dr. Caleri speaks on it. And then um, after that, in June, we're remounting our Duchess of Malfi that we experimented with um, early modern lighting. And it's the first crack that I think anybody's ever actually taken in early modern gesture acting. Wow. Um, so we did that um, uh, not too long ago. We'll be remounting it in uh, preparation for a tour to the Globe Theater, mm -hmm. where we'll be performing at the Wanamaker um, uh, with Duchess of Malfi, and then over at Stratford-upon-Avon uh, to the Shakespeare Institute, and also to Shakespeare's Grammar School, the King Edward oh, VI wonderful. School. I've seen that on TV, the Grammar School, where he learned uh, yeah. Latin. Yeah, it's you know where he got his education probably till he was seventeen. I mean, they say grammar school, so you think one through fifth, but it's it's your whole education. Mm -hmm. So uh, so we'll be we'll be doing that. Um, we just couldn't be more thrilled. That's so much fun going Thanks. over to to see the original places. Yeah. Yeah, and performing Perform there. Perform there. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's thrilling. Well, I think I see the sky darkening. Do you hear some thunder rolling? I hear thunder. The roll of thunder generally means the approach of lightning. That's right.
and the lightning round. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was, I was okay. You yes. thought we were just going crazy. I, no, I mean, it is, a, it is a dark and stormy day. It is true. That's true. All right. I'm, I'm coming. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Let me have it. You specifically uh, want, didn't want to know the question before we started recording, so. Hugely admirable. I love it. I love it. Oh, this no, is great. No, and I'm I think I already know the, the, the very last question. What? Actually, uh, yes. Actually, uh, okay, I'll clear my brain. Okay, I'm ready for you. It was Hamlet. Yeah. It was absolutely Hamlet. Yeah, uh, 16 years old, uh, thought I was not going to be smart enough for it, read it, loved it, and felt a sense of pride that I never forgot, and it's half the reason why I do what I do and why we have an education program to give other kids that same feeling of, I am smart enough, I am good enough for this. Wow. Now, is this the puppet show? Or the... <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was the puppet show. It was the real deal. Fantastic. Yes, Mary Daly's Gyne Ecology uh, changed me uh, to actually be what I still refer to as radical feminism. Um, and it's uh, very inclusive. I loves me a man, uh, but it, it completely empowered me and made me understand that uh, being a, a shy and wilting flower was not going to be effective in my life. Huh. Could you say that title and author again? Gyne yeah. Ecology. Yeah, Mary Daly, D-A-L-Y, uh, Gyne, G-Y-N, and then a dash, Ecology. Ecology. Oh, she's a fascinating lady. She is hardcore. Around how old were you? 17. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right, here's the big brother to, uh, to that question. Maybe the same answer. Ready. Uh, has a book ever changed your life? <sighs> yes, recently, I think, a book just completely changed me in terms of uh, the direction that I was going in with the theater, if that counts. Actors on Acting uh, just really helped me tremendously. Uh, it it validated work that I was considering in terms of um, acting technique, and it's. Uh, it, I think I, I went in and I, I just gave a speech at the Blackfriars conference, and I felt a sea change happen, and it was all due to that book's influence. So, if that counts, it's a bit dry. Sure it does. Of course it counts. That's great. That's a good Thanks. Has a book ever made you cry? Yes. Yes. Do you know? I. Uh, Oh, uh, well, Twilight, because I read it. <laughs> we'll stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, you cry and say, oh. hours lost. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's different kinds of crying, right? Yes, that's right. Just have different ways. Dang it. I got a paper cut from a book and cried. Oh. There you go. There you go. It changed your life, right? Oh, it changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, name a book you've read more than once. Oh, gosh. Well, unfortunately, I've had to read a, a, a thousand books more than once. Every play that I do, I, I have to read them upwards of 50, 60 times. Okay. So, um, but uh, for funsies, hmm. oh, oh, A Room with a View, E.M. Forrester's oh. A Room with a View. I okay. live for that book. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, okay, now, this is the final question of our okay. lightning round. I ask this of every guest, and I rarely get a positive uh, yes to this, and I'm... So thrilled to ask you this. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, and yeah. Is that, we would love to hear some. That is an invitation. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Here we go. Let me think. Which one's my favorite? Well, we talked about it earlier, so let's see if I do it right. If music be the food of love, play on. Give me excess of it. That surfeiting... The appetite may sicken and so die. 
that strain again. It had a dying fall. Oh, it came o'er my ears like the sound that breathes upon a bank of violets, stealing and giving odor. Enough, no more. It is not so sweet now as it was before. Woo! Thank you. Wonderful. Now, Aww. can we see you act at any point? Or Never. Just... No, no, you just saw it. That's the most you we, get. <laughs> we are excited to have you. Yeah. No, I don't do that anymore. Break your rule here. On yeah. Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a shame because I, I think that would be a, a wonderful sight. Oh, you're great. Well, you know what? Every now and then you can catch me as a sassy waitress on repeats of uh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, <laughs> hey. perfect. All right. I'll perfect. pop in there every now and then. Thanks I for coming. People who are working with you on Friday Night Lights had no idea who they were dealing with. Oh, right. that's so totally. sweet. That's so sweet. Well, they were excited about the groundlings when they found out it was a real. Oh, hey, let's right. play, Elizabeth. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> a million different ways that I can say, you want some gravy on that? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any uh, gestures that go along with it to help, help, help the line read? Oh, you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this has been a mesmerizing episode of Persistence of Vision podcast. Absolutely. Beth Burns discussing Arden of Faversham and about a thousand other things. We are so delighted to have had you. It's Thank been you my so pleasure. much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. How much fun. Oh, yes. Well, And if you want to hear any other, other podcasts, uh, pov-publishing.com is our website. There you can read essays, poetry, comics by world-class artists. You can see the links to my book, why So Much by Lance Myers. You can see the link to LB's book, The Goddamn Fool. And, uh, yeah, check us out. Yes, we're drowning you in things that you need to read, see, and otherwise and contemplate. purchase, for crying out loud. Purchase, yeah, don't steal our books. You, we're not Abby Hoffman. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Thank you.